Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. First, before we begin, I would like to remind you, as I always do, of this website called wealthformula.com. It is where the podcast lives, but it is also where are, there are an abundance of resources available to you, including free books from my friend George Newberry and from me. Uh, you can also get my uh, ebook. It's sort of a wealth 1.0 book called Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth by texting 44222 and typing in wealth formula, one word. Now, the advanced stuff, of course, becomes uh, apparent down the line. There's a course that's involved there. It's called the Roadmap to Real Wealth, and that's available at wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, of course, that's an online thing, and that leads to an online community. If you're not into the whole online thing, I would like to suggest that you join us at our next Wealth Formula Meetup. I believe we still have tickets left. This is April 24th and 25th in Phoenix, Arizona. Lots of interesting guests there, including, uh, well, we've got, let's see, Robert Kiyosaki, CPA, Tom Wheelwright. We've got Doug Lodmel. We have got Richard Wilson from Family Office Club. We've got Ken McElroy and Dave Steele, titans in the multifamily real estate world. And I'll even be doing a talk. Check that all out. Make sure to join us. It is a fantastic event. It's not just about the speakers. It's not just about looking at the real estate that we do on these trips. But it is a tremendous opportunity to network with one another. And I don't like the word network because it's not like you're trying to get business from each other. But I think just getting to know a live community, uh, I think it was very refreshing for people to be in a room with high-level people who already make money, uh, who aren't just trying to escape from their cubicles, but are trying to figure out how to get to the next level together. Really fun, a uh, good time with cocktails, etc. Check it out, wealthformulaevents.com. Again, that's wealthformulaevents with an S.com. Now, as far as today's show goes, you know, I love this, uh, this character from, uh, in the 40s and 50s, uh, Yogi Berra, um, he's got all these interesting quotes. And one of them, I think, uh, is is fantastic, which is that it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future, right? He was a wise man. 
No wonder they named a cartoon character after him, right? The problem is that everything we do in finance ultimately relies on some kind of understanding or belief of how the future will all play out. As a result, we often search for profits who can help us make a profit, right? But of course, these prophets and sages, otherwise known as economists, don't seem to agree with each other. And some of them even have secondary agendas that might influence what exactly they're saying. You know what I mean. The guys who boast about predicting the Great Recession of 2008, but omit the fact that they also predicted the Great Recessions of 2010 through 2020, right? These are the same people who are constantly telling you that the sky is falling. By the way, I'm selling gold. So, and gold is a safe asset, so make sure you buy some gold from me. Listen, the economy is cyclical. That is just a fact. That means if you keep saying the same thing all the time, right? Like the sky's falling, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. Eventually, or shall I say periodically, you will be right. But only drawing attention to those occasional, you know, true events that you predict is a bit disingenuous. That's my opinion, at least. Now, like everyone else, you know, I'm looking for the sources, right? The sources that can help me predict the future. Now, wouldn't it be great if you had a source that could have predicted 2008 several months in advance before it happened, but also predicted all of the positive things that have happened since then over the next you know, decade, uh, and didn't tell you things were going to hell in a handbasket? Well, you know what? The reality is that nobody's going to be 100% right. It's not really possible to do that. But it's still really useful to pay attention to good economists. It's really worthwhile. But the problem, as we said before, is if they say different things, all these prophets and sages Who's going to help you make a profit? Who do you listen to? Well, I can tell you who I listen to, and I can tell you first on how I decide, you know, how I decide on listening to those types of people. I use the same methodology that I use when I do due diligence and real estate operators. You know, the people that I'm going to invest with or that our equity group, our real estate, uh, real estate investor club is going to uh, invest with. Now, in those situations, one of the things I always say is that you got to get to know the group, right? You got to know, like, and trust them. Well, you don't necessarily have to know, like, and trust an economist, okay? But the second step is really critical, and that is to look at their track record. Again, it's easy to get some things right. If you keep saying the same thing over and over again, and it's a mar cyclical market, then periodically you will be right. But if you could find a source, that was, say, 95% accurate with both positive and negative predictions in the economy over the past 70 years or more, would you take the predictions seriously? Well, I would, and I do. That's exactly what ITR Economics has done, and it's the reason why they are my single most trusted source of economic information. When they talk, I listen, and the good news for you is that this week's podcast will give you an 
opportunity to listen as well as we have Catherine Putney uh, from ITR Economics coming up right after this. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is a contributor to ITR Economics, specifically to their flagship publication, ITR Trends Reports. Her name is Catherine Putney, and she specializes in the applied research of business cycle trend analysis, growth cycle analysis, and implementing cyclical analysis at the practical company level. I'm not exactly sure all of what that means, but Catherine, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, Buck. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you again. And you know, we did have uh, Alan Bully on the show a couple years ago. And um, that was uh, that was really fun. We talked about his book, and um, but just you know, so we get a little bit of a background on you know where you're coming from. Tell us a little bit about ITR Economics, and you know what you do over there, and and you know some of the some of the highlights. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we try to make economics as fun as possible, as interesting as possible, but uh, here at ITR, we were founded in 1948. Uh, we're the oldest privately held, continuously operating uh, research and consulting firm in the United States. So we deal a lot with, uh, with consulting and figuring out what's best for each company to make, to decisions to make uh, in regards to the economy. So we, we work with everything from small companies all the way up to the Fortune 500 level. Uh, and what we want to do is provide the best economic intelligence to ensure that we're, we're instilling a good type of, of kind of background and environment where the business can make those, those profitable decisions to maximize themselves, essentially trying to, to maximize those profits. So we're always trying to kind of give that information on an economic level to you know, to the point where they can make that money, they can they can take away that information, which I'm hoping to kind of talk about today as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I thought was pretty impressive is you you know the 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 um, ITR has been a long, around for a long time, and the track record in terms of predictions has been pretty darn good. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely use the word "darn good" as well. Um, I think we're, we're, you know, we're very, very uh, proud of proud of that accuracy. And I think a big reason is that is what separates us from some other of the the 
the forecasting firms that are that are in the U.S. is that we don't necessarily do straight up regression modeling. Mm-hmm. We have a touch of art to it because when you look at forecasting in terms of regression, it's using all the historical data trends that that we certainly look at. But it doesn't build in the artistic factor that economics brings to the table, right? So right. knowing that we have, you know, we're in a, an environment where tariffs are something that are, is causing inflation right now. That's something mm-hmm. that a regression model cannot build into the future. So we like to, to kind of bring in that artistic work, bring in the kind of the nitty-gritty specialties of what each comp- how each company operates are you making price hikes in your business? What are we expecting from, you know, even, I know we'll talk a little bit about the coronavirus, things like that, that regression modeling cannot predict. And our system, our, our leading indicator trends really hit home and create some really great forecasts for us. Yeah, and I remember, I think Alan saying something like the, the accuracy was somewhere like 96% or something like that. Is that? Yeah, we're hovering around 95% right now. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's obviously pretty, um, pretty special, especially when it comes to predicting the future. You know, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Um, You know, uh, one of the things that Alan uh, and, you know, the book, uh, I I keep referring to this because I think a lot of the general theses uh, come from uh, this book uh, is, you know, he describes this idea of this next decade uh, being the roaring 20s, followed by you know, depression of the 30s. And I've heard ITR talk about this, I mean, for at least five, six years now, just in terms of various conferences I've been at as as well. Um, does ITR still believe those targets? And if so, what are really the driving forces behind, you know, those respective uh, decades, you know, the roaring 20s and, and the depression? That's a great. That's a great comment and question to ask. I mean, every time I talk about the the depression of of 2030, when I go out on the road and speak, I get a lot of groans and moans in the audience. So, but it's always a good thing to know it's coming, right? That's the right. whole point. Is if we know it's there, we can prepare for it and we can utilize the next 10 years of what we're going to call, you know, the essential roaring 20s to our advantage to make money because we make money in times of recession if you're prepared for it the buy low, sell high mentality. Um, so as we are heading through this next decade, uh, we, we will hit this 2030 depression. And some of the drivers to that, I'll mention, are demographic trends, right? So we have 10,000 baby boomers each and every day retiring from now until 2030. That's a lot of, that's a lot of people coming out of the workforce and entering an age, into an age where they require medical attention, uh, essentially driving up inflationary costs when it comes to the medical industry, which is already in a high inflationary environment, on top of the fact that we are uh, somewhat financially strained on the Social Security market. Right. That's something right. That, that is going to be very much constrained as we head through the t- next 10 years. And nothing, it's not going to be one particular driver that's going to put this, this depression into uh, the, you know, the decline. It's going to be somewhat the aggregation and the straw on the camel's back of a multitude of factors, such as that, those demographic trends that we've mentioned, the inflationary trends that we're expecting with a, with a booming economy for the next 10 years. I mean, with Social Security, uh, that's, there, there are ways to fix it. I'll, I can get into that uh, as well, but that is definitely going to be one of the drivers on, on the Great, the, not the Great Depression, but another yeah. depression. Let me ask and, uh, you yeah, this, and, it, you know, sure. before, 
you know, is when you look at the 20s, is it what makes it roaring? Because obviously we're we're sitting here right now and there's so many predictions of, okay, we're in the longest expansion of GDP in U.S. history and it's, you know, we're still doing well and, you know, half the you know, podcasters out there in this space are, you know, predicting a zombie apocalypse tomorrow. What, what, what drives, you know, what is your opinion about the 20s uh, that make it roaring? So it's funny you ask that because uh, I, I was going to bring up the fact that, you know, when we look back to the roaring 20s of the 1900s, that was labeled the Roaring Twenties. There were actually three recessions during that time. Yeah. During that decade, there were three recessions. They called it Roaring because if you look at the overall trend line from the early 20s to the late 20s, the, it was overall ascent. So it was actually a general rising trend, yeah. but it was not impervious to it was not impervious to recession at all. So that is what we're expecting <clears> in the <throat> next decade, that we will be still vulnerable to these downturns. And our forecast for right now is we're kind of in the middle of it. We're heading into the next couple quarters that's going to be a mild recession, depending on which industry you're in, and then another one in 2022 and heading into 23. So when I say roaring, I, I mean the overall theme of the economy heading yeah. into that, yeah. that ascent. Let me ask you this in terms of those, um, and I think this is a, a an important point to drive home because um, – you know, when we talk about a decade, a, a positive growth decade, one that people can do well in, um, I think, you know, your your point is taken well, right? I mean, it doesn't mean you don't have some natural cycles, um, but is it ITR's uh, take that we're not, you know, the, this huge depression, or not a huge depression, but a huge recession or major depression is not really something that you're predicting in the next few years. I mean, certainly some dips, but nothing like we saw in say like a, you know, 2008 or uh, something like that. Correct. Yeah. We're not going to be heading into that 2008 territory, which that, I mean, that recession was driven by the, you know, the housing market and things right. like that. We're not expecting any type of trends going on there. We will go through our, our rises and, and declines here and there, especially in 2022, we will feel a little bit of a more severe downturn, but it's not going to be comparable to what we went through last, uh, the last decade for, in 08, 09, 10 years ago. You know, one of the things that I find fascinating about this, again, is, you know, these drivers that you've brought up that, that lead to the 30s and stuff. But these are, you know, these are some long-term predictions, right? And recently, um, and certainly since the book was written, uh, there have been some substantial shifts in U.S. foreign policy, trade policy, you know, tariffs, isolationism. How do you factor in that kind of unpredictability in the long-term predictions? Yeah, I mean, we definitely will, if, if things if things get integrated or into the marketplace, we will integrate them into our overall outlook. We're not, we're, no, we're very transparent, but at right. this point in time, the, the, the catalyst, the drivers that I discussed earlier with demographics, inflation, sure. 
in our national debt, those are long-term fundamental trends that aren't being budged right now by right. the by the foreign policy or the trade war or the recently ratified you know USMCA the new NAFTA 2.0 those aren't really moving the needle on the fundamental drivers to this 2030 depression so yes we could have near term movement here and there that changes the the growth or decline which we will work into our outlook you know the the tax reform when it when it first was put into place did have a tiny bit of an extra boost on on the economy but normalized but it did move yeah. the needle a small amount enough for us to to mention it to uh, the audience and mention it to everyone and say here we're going to work this in because you're right we don't just stick to the same exact forecast forever and ever um, but at this point in time 2030, we're, if we see something that, that pops up that could potentially change it, we'll let you know. But <laughs> yeah, at this right. point, we do not, we, we still don't see uh, yeah. any, any type of aggressive movement in foreign policy or anything on Wall Street to change that, this 2030 outlook. But if it does, we'll, we'll make sure to, to let you know. So there's a couple things right now that I think, you know, just looking at, uh, uh, you know, the very short term, we're in an election year. Uh, I generally, as a business owner, hate election years because fourth quarters, it seems like everybody freezes and they don't know what to do. Um, so that is happening, you know, that's coming up. And then we've got this coronavirus. And, um, you know, it sounds like it's really potentially freezing up China. Um, how are these two particular issues right now? How do you see them? you know, affecting us in the short term. Is that, are these impetus for, you know, short-term recessionary activity or not so much? No, I think, uh, actually, it's funny. I was going to apologize earlier for my sniffles that I've been having. I hope it's not the Oh, no, I couldn't even hear them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, Uh, so disregard that. But as we... uh, as we head into this cycle, we always, even before these tariffs, even before the um, the not well knowing there's an election cycle, this was this was expected already. This downturn that we're heading into, it's really gonna it could potentially move the needle somewhat. But the overall the overall theme uh, in terms of the tariff situation is that uh, it, yeah, it will cause somewhat inflation, but it won't you know it won't really move the needle on the overall trend. And when we look at the election. I mean, this happens every four years. So right. it's normal to assume that, let's say, on a yearly basis, that sales pick up in the, the Christmas time or the right. holiday season. That, that's, a normal, that's a normal thing to expect. Yeah. Similar to every four years, it's normal to expect uh, that we will see some t- sort of movement depending on what's going on, on, on in the, uh, who's running and if it's more re- favorably to red or favorably to blue, that it could potentially either halt spending or, or catalyze spending. And yeah. a, a big thing I, I personally believe in is that as we head into this election cycle with the tariffs going on right now, if you know, Trump's going out for, for re-election, he might take a look and say, well, are these tariffs causing a lot more good than harm in terms of my ability to get re-elected or vice versa? Are they causing yeah. more bad than good? And that could potentially move his, his strategy uh, with the tariffs. He could be more aggressive with them or he could be more reserved with them to potentially get the votes. Or payroll taxes, right? I mean, some of these things that, 
there's still potential role for um, you know some tax mitigation things that that might get people excited about that. Um, and then what about so so you're you know you you guys are factoring that in already, and it seems like we've got this a little bit of decline that as you mentioned by the way that we're already in. You said that right? You were mm-hmm. we're kind of already in that. Do you think that right now we are potentially already in some recession in some sectors? It depends on the sector you're looking at. When the macroeconomy, when I say decline, I, I, I could potentially be saying a slowdown, a business cycle decline, or recession. So mm. the U.S. industrial sector right now, so if you're tied to, let's say, manufacturing or anything commodity-related, that is on the brink of entering into recession. Mm-hmm. The consumer economy, when I, when, when I say consumer, I mean GDP, because it's mostly cons- yeah. personal consumption. That is actually... Um, that is actually avoiding recession during this cycle, but it is in a slowdown. So we are on the brink of one quarter of decline in GDP, but it will be back to the races again as we head into the second half of this year. Um, so when I say when I say general descent or decline, uh, it could either be meaning slowdown or recession, depending on your industry. Got it. So that makes sense. So basically, we're talking about, and and, and, and to your point, uh, uh, what most people think about when they think about recessions is this, um, you know, what you're describing right now is having a little bit of a slowdown and then probably picking up in the next quarter, and then maybe we don't see another slow slowdown or that kind of thing until 2022. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. 2021 will be a great year. 2021 will be a good year for the economy. The slowest point in in anyone's business, whoever's listening, will it will be right right here, right now, in the first half of this year until 2022. So next year will be good. But that I will caveat that with the fact that that's if you move with the economy. You could lead it. You could lag it. You could be in different points in your business. Do you typically move ahead of the game? Do you move behind the game? That's important to know too, because you have to make that mental shift. Whatever you hear on, you know, the Wall Street Journal today about the economy may not pertain to your exact business at this point in time. You have to figure out your your relationship to the economy. Um, let's just go back to the coronavirus. Any yep. what what are your thoughts on this? What what I mean, is it going to affect anything in the big picture or not so much? I think on on uh, a overall business standpoint depends what you're in. Uh, mm-hmm. We have been seeing it, you know, cause a lot, wreak a lot of havoc on people getting scared and holding back on going out, especially in China. Uh, I, but I think China is starting to try to mitigate that impact by there was recently they're cutting down on some of their tariffs toward us by mm-hmm. they're cutting the slicing them in half to try to hopefully mitigate and increase some of the activity going back and forth because they are seeing a lot of a lot of. Uh, pullback in spending patterns, right? No one's going to go out and go to a restaurant or a shop or park because they don't want to go out and contract the virus. But at the end of the day, the, the, the death rates between the flu and coronavirus are somewhat similar. Yeah. So I think it's more of a more of a speculation on it rather than what the actual impact is. It definitely is impacting China more than us. And we're not going to be sending our, you know, we're not going to be importing anything from China uh, as much as we used to, given this this yeah. virus, especially in the agriculture industry. Yeah, and I, I actually agree with that too. It, my background is uh, um, I don't practice anymore, but I use I am a physician, and I I am looking at a lot of yeah. this from the standpoint of the actual health implications are are really not any more than 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 the flu. And so there's yeah. certainly a, a big uh, it's it's a sexy thing to bring up in the media right now, yeah. but it's 
Okay, vaccination, you're probably from the flu, you're probably in better shape. Um, (laughs) Let's go back to the 2030s, because this is a thing that whenever you guys talk about, and I know, because I, you know, I've been in the audience and, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm part of the newsletter. and, And whenever we talk about this, people's ears perk up. And so let's let's talk about what it looks like. Okay, 2030s are here. ITR's prediction could come true. Is this some kind of a, you know, inflationary or deflationary or what? What does it look like? Yeah, it will most definitely be inflationary as we head into the next year. Not in 2030 when uh, you know everything uh, hits the fan, but right. for the next ten for the next ten years, it definitely will be inflationary uh-huh. because of. Uh, the increasing demand in the, I don't want to say the roaring 20s, but with higher demand comes higher prices right. That's at the law of economics. So that's what we'll be seeing as we head through the next 10 years. On top of the fact that the medical attention that's, that's going to be demanded from a huge baby boomer demographic cohort, that's going to also increase a lot of the inflation as well. So we definitely think that there's going to be a lot of inflation as we head into 2030, and then I like to call it the the next decade will be the the stairway to heaven, and then the highway to hell will be 2030. Uh, so we'll see that decline. In that highway to hell, though, is that a deflationary environment? I mean, it, it not the you yeah. know when you're in the 20 when you're in the 2030s, if you're holding assets, do we expect those assets to you know deflate in value, or do we? I mean. Basically, I'm looking at is it is is like an inflationary depression or a deflationary depression? I would say more on the deflationary side because people will not be spending. Uh huh. So when you're when you're not spending, prices go down. That causes the deflationary environment to take hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, interest rates will likely be extremely low. There because the government wants us to catalyze spending or create incentives to go out and spend. So I would say that it was more on the deflationary side of things as we get into 2030 and then the 2020s will be more inflationary. So it's all about, a, a big thing is is to look at the U.S. in general is a very reactionary economy and a reactionary nation. We wait for things to happen and then we fix them. We are not mm-hmm. proactive. Sure. Because, because if we were proactive, this would not be a problem right now. And it was, it's a very good reference here. I'm not sure if uh, you've heard the, uh, seen the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis, and there's an <laughs> asteroid coming to Earth, uh-huh. and, yeah. it, and basically they send out your crew out there, and you have to blow up this asteroid before it crosses a threshold. And yeah. if it passes that threshold, you're done. For, the Earth is done for. Similar to the to the economy in this 2030 depression, if we don't fix things in the next few years. We can do whatever we want in the few years before the Great Depression. It's not going to solve it. And what would so those to, things be? I mean, we have to. So, be, so what we're looking at is the deviation in the delta between the the tax receipts and our entitlement programs. So we have Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, because our national debt right now is you know over twenty two trillion dollars. We need to move the needle somewhat by either raising taxes or decreasing those type of transfer transfer payments by the government. Because if that continues, our debt's going to increase and increase and increase. And there's easy ways to do that, with, especially with social social security. Right now it's a it's a twelve point four percent tax employer employee contribution for social security. You increase that to fifteen percent that's decades added to the Social Security ability to pay to pay out. You get rid of the 130 
$4,000 cap, dollar salary cap that's on Social Security, you add decades more on top of that. But it's political suicide. Right. So it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's exactly. not going to happen. So if it does, that's something we'll let you know and integrate into our outlook. But we really don't think that it's, it's likely going to take place. The reason I keep asking you about this depression, you know, this deflationary versus inflationary aspect is that, you know, you mentioned a couple things about what happens in the 2030s. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the Fed's going to be, you know, you'll be, you know, the rates will be negative. You'll have like QE 2000. Uh, and when all of that happens and there's helicopter money and reviving, reviving the economy at that point, I'm just wondering what happens if I'm owning real estate at that point, does that real estate go way up in, in nominal value or does it go down? You see what I mean? Like uh, that's, uh, and I'm not an economist, so I don't really understand this part, but I, you know, it's, it's, it seems to me that with all the activity that would be necessary to mitigate some of the 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 pain in the 30s that you would need to print a lot of money right mm-hmm. and then in that scenario would the value of assets nominally go up i think that there would that would be essentially uh, mitigated by the fact that it's going to we're going to be in this in this depression, but assets such as real estate is something that we think you need to hold on to for yeah. this point in time. And the reason for that is because you you need to weather the storm with your assets, especially on the real estate side. Own that land because we're coming out of it in the later parts of the 2030s. So it's, it's on a time frame basis, you want to hang on to that for a sole reason too. We look back at the uh, at the 0809 recession that we went through. There was a huge shift away from single-family housing into renting, multifamily, because no one could qualify for a mortgage. People were defaulting on their mortgages, so they they needed to rent instead. Sure. If you own housing in the next 10 years, that's a source of income for you. God forbid that, you know, a job is lost during that time in the 2030s. Uh, if that if that's the case, you still have assets such as housing to, to for, you know, potentially to rent or if your kids are out of a job, you can you can have a place for them to live. Things like that where you have these assets uh, that you're able to kind of bring in that cash flow uh, and then weather the storm through the 2030s and be back on your feet pretty well again. It's really it's really uh, difficult for you know housing prices to really fall off a cliff um, because you know oh eight oh nine was centrally housing it was all it was yeah. all tied to housing this downturn in twenty thirty will not be all tied to housing so we don't expect a similar type of of movement in in the housing market than we did ten years ago yeah although presumably you know rent uh, rent uh, will have to go down uh, mm. you know those kinds of things. Um, I'm I'm also assuming that, you know, and I'm focusing on real estate because we're such a real estate heavy show. But mm-hmm. the um, I would also assume that if you were going to hold that real estate through the 2030s, that you would be thinking you'd be best off probably having things with pretty low leverage. Mm-hmm. That- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think just we- just weathering that storm in the in the early. 2030 period and it depends on it's, it's different for every type of situation you want the you want the the property by the water canada is a big one too if you can get to the great lakes on up you know the, the north or south side of them those are the types of of areas where you'll you'll really come out 
on top because people will probably be looking to move in, in the 2030s as, you know, if the economy is wreaking havoc with this depression, people typically like to get up and move, they're out of the job, and that's when there's going to be more activity in the overall housing market. How about <clears throat> throughout the world? Is this Will this be a global depression, or is there any countries that will be spared or at least minimally hit? Yeah, this will definitely be a global recession uh, or depression. Uh, it will definitely wreak havoc globally. If you look at the U.S., Europe, China, and Japan, those four countries together are 76% of the global economy. I mean, that's a really, really big number there. Those, all those four are going to be going into this depression. There are definitely going to be some safe havens, which I'll get into. But mm-hmm. when we look at Japan, they're in. This is something I like to say is that you know once Japan turns, we know that the U.S. is going to follow suit because Japan is in such a terrible uh, population growth pattern. Yeah. They're they're pop. They're, you know, with the one child policy in China, even all of Asia uh, or most of Asia is just really really bad. The sale of adult diapers has surpassed the sale of baby diapers in Japan. Is that it's, right? <laughs> it's, it's wild. Huh. So once they're going to be the first to tip because you think you want, in terms of, of population growth and birth rates, you want, you want an upside-down pyramid. You want it funnel. You want each generation to be larger than the other. I mean, my parents, my mother is one of nine. Mm-hmm. You don't see that anymore. So right. who's going to be, who, which, which, who's going to be stimulating this economic growth with their tax, with their taxes? We need to create um, so, some more uh, ways to increase those taxes. And, I mean, J- Japan also, their government tax-funded is, is, is sponsoring dating websites huh. like Tinder, those types of <laughs> random dating websites, because they want people to have babies. They need yeah. to, ha- to have their babies. So this will definitely be uh, a, a global downturn in some of the areas that are opportunistic. And I know that Brian and Alan Bolio, our CEO and president here at ITR, they talk about it in, in their book, Prosperity in the Age of Decline. Uh, Switzerland, Canada, Australia, those three are some pretty good financially stable countries that may weather the storm a lot better. If we look at the difference between the, I mentioned earlier, that our transfer payments in the U.S. are much higher than what we're bringing in in tax receipts. It's the opposite for Canada. They're taking in more than what they pay out in terms of transfer payments. They're financially much more stable. So is Australia and Switzerland. They're going to be the winners or They'll, they'll win the most. I'm not going to say they're not going to fall, yeah. but they're going to be the safe havens to, you know, once, once Japan tips, get out of equities, go into bonds in those particular three countries, that those will be the safe havens, as well as the countries that have a good uh, younger population, because those, again, won't be as hit, hit as hard with the, with the younger generation yeah. uh, being able to kind of get back on their feet again, even absorb a lot of the, uh, the, the assets when, when these older generations die off. That's something that we think that could potentially buoy the impact of this depression is all the assets that are transferred, uh, you know, excluding the, the, the death tax to the younger generation could potentially mitigate some of the severity of the downturn uh, with all of those assets being transferred. Interesting. Well, it is a uh, uh, always fascinating to hear about uh, this, I guess, this demographic cliff, really. Um, from you, but, uh, so for, for real estate investors, 
hold on to things, uh, maybe decrease your leverage, et cetera, during that period of time. But in the meantime, make hay, try to make as much money as you can in the next decade. Oh. I think that's the, mm-hmm. uh, that's the <laughs> bottom line, right? Um, mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about where we can learn about your work and the work of ITR Economics. Uh, I, I'm a subscriber to one of your newsletters, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and how, uh, how people could potentially sign up. Yeah, absolutely. So we offer some, some great quality uh, products and emails and services. So you can subscribe to our, our free services if you go to our uh, website, itreconomics.com. There should be a resources tab at the top. And then you scroll down to the free enrollment for the, the, the updates. And what we'll do is we'll just send out periodic emails of it's usually on a monthly basis of what's going on in the economy, just kind of a blurb here and there. It's a really great piece of just you know, insightful, insightful information for, for what's happening and what's new in the economy today or tomorrow. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I think is really uh, interesting is being able to get ahead of stuff with a, a smart team that really is uh, more unbiased than I think uh, a lot of the economists that you hear in the press. So, um, again, thanks. Uh, thanks very much for being on the show, Catherine. Of course. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here and happy to do it again as well. (laughs) Thank you. That'd be great. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. So how seriously do I take these forecasts, these ITR forecasts uh, that Catherine has alluded to? By the way, I am a subscriber. Um, I can't remember. I think it's called ITR Insider. Um, There's one that's really mostly focused on um, you know, for individuals, it's not for businesses per se, but Jeff, definitely check it out. Um, so I take these things very, very seriously. Uh, and what I really appreciate about ITR is their lack of secondary motive, as I described, described before. Um, you know, they're not out there talking about the zombie apocalypse while selling gold and survival gear. Um, and the other thing is that they routinely get it right. And it's not always, you know, it's not always the zombie apocalypse, right? It's also a bear. It's also a bull market for the next ten years, right? They've done it repeatedly, ninety-five percent of the time for the last seventy years. That's pretty darn good. And uh, with regard to two thousand eight, yes, they got that one right. Several months before two thousand eight, gave people an opportunity uh, to make some big moves. Now, of course, in two thousand eight, I didn't have any money anyway because I had just finished surgical training. But, um, you know, who knows? I, and I didn't know about them. So, but uh, I'm glad I know about them now. So what am I going to do based on this information? Well, I've talked about it before, but I really do see this decade personally as full of opportunities. So I'm going to treat it like the roaring 20s, right? Yeah, sure. There'll be some recessions. Uh, I think like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I fully believe that. I think we're probably, we may very well be in one right now, right? Um. You know, but the truth is that I'll probably sell a lot of assets uh, or at the very least deleverage as we get near the end of this decade, or at least, you know, I have 10 years to try to figure out what to do before then. And obviously, uh, we hopefully will continue having an investor club and we will do the right thing together. Now, uh, it's tough. I know, you know, what do you do uh, with all these uh, people talking about zombie apocalypses? You know, all I can tell you is, listen, you have to make a choice for yourself. 
The problem with sitting on cash right now is that prediction could be very wrong, and it has been very wrong. Uh, for people who've listened to the Permavirus for the past five years, I mean, listen, you've lost out on a lot of opportunity to make money. In the meantime, the rest of us have made money hand over fist. We talk about one of the uh, Western Wealth Capital investors who's been investing uh, for the last five years in every deal uh, and uh, turned seven hundred fifty grand by you know small increment uh, investing in, in several deals into $4 million of principal. I mean, if you got scared away by a permabear perma five years ago, think of how much money that guy would have lost if he'd done the same. Listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but listen, if you are going to make some decisions, get educated, and the biggest thing in that regard is to make sure your information is not coming from a biased source that's trying to sell you something or is trying to you know write books about uh, survivalism or et cetera. Make sure that they have a good track record, good and bad. Anyway, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. I hope you make it out to our event uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Again, check that out. Check that out at wealthformulaevents.com. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.